You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So we often say that time is money, but do you really treat your time like money? Well, my guest on the podcast today says that, well, no, most people don't actually treat their time like money. But if they did make this paradigm shift, thinking of their time as money, it would actually help them be more wise stewards of their time. Her name is Elizabeth Grace Saunders. She's the author of the book, How to Invest Your Time Like Money. And today on the podcast, we discuss time debt, right? That feeling where you just don't have enough time to do the things that are important to you. And then we also talked about strategies you can use to treat your time more like money and actually invest time right now so you have more time in the future to do the things that you want to do. A really great practical podcast with lots of great uh, actionable points that you can start implementing today. So without further ado, Elizabeth Grace Saunders, How to Invest Your Time Like Money. Elizabeth Grace Saunders, welcome to the show. Why, thank you. Delighted to be here. So you have a book out that's called Invest Your Time Like Money. Read that title, I'm like, wait a minute. Time is finite. I can understand money's fungible. You can, uh, it can grow exponentially, the power of compounding. Uh, how can you invest your time like money when time, you just have 24 hours a day, that's it? Well, the concept behind this is that what what's so funny and so ironic about what you just said is that even though it's true that in many ways you can get more money and you can't get more time, people often think the opposite. They're super careful about what they spend money on. Um, like on a macro level, maybe a company might say, we can't pursue this initiative because we don't have the financial budget for it, but they won't stop to think about if they actually have the people hours for it. In the same way with our lives, so often we're quick to say, oh yeah, sure, I can do that for you, or I can volunteer for this thing, or I can take on that project without ever thinking about the fact that time is finite. So number one, people actually need to start thinking about time as the finite resource it is, even more than money. And then number two, when we're looking at investing time like money, we're saying, where's the return on investment? So just like when you are thinking about your financial assets and there are certain things where 
you might get a 10 or 20% return if you're lucky. You know, maybe you bought a bought a house at the low in the real estate market and it, it went up a lot in terms of value um, versus something where it's just an added expense for you. So maybe your insurance premiums go up, but you don't get more bang for your buck. In the same way with our time, there are certain things that when we put time into it, it really pays off in terms of the benefits in our lives, both now and in the future. And there's other things where, you know, there's not much of a payoff. It's about a one-to-one ratio. And other things in our lives, we're spending even more time on them, really leads to absolutely no benefits. And so the whole point about how to invest your time like money is, let's start thinking about what's the ROI and stop just like pretending that we have this bottomless pit of hours in a day and really wasting it on things we don't really care about. Okay, so when you're you're talking about ROI with time investment, you're looking, the value that you're looking for is just value in your life in general, like better health, better relationships. I mean, can you actually free up more time uh, by investing your time? Yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> yes and yes. So uh, for the first point in terms of your relationship's health, for example, getting enough sleep is an awesome investment of your time. If you accept the fact of however many hours of sleep you need, which of course varies from person to person, um, you're going to have more energy, better health, better mood, probably be nicer to the people around you, which will improve your relationship. So yes, investing time and getting enough sleep or getting exercise will improve your quality of life at present. However, um, the second point you made is also true. So when we invest time in certain things, it pays off in the future in terms of saving us time that we can use elsewhere. Okay. So, so like, for example, uh, finances. If we automate our bill pay, automate retirement savings. It's going to cost us a few hours up front. We're going to save ourselves hours and hours of time later. And hopefully also, if it's our retirement plan, have some pretty awesome increases in our finances. So, you know, it's funny. This is my own personal experience. And you talk to other people, they feel the same way. We have all these technologies and services that can free up time, right? We no longer have to do laundry by hand. Um, you have email that can just send messages, lickety split. You can do, I mean, I've done really, you know, business deals that just, that would have taken weeks. You can do it in a few hours. Yep. Yet people still feel like they're time poor. They just don't have enough time in the day. My question is, I often ask myself, am I as busy as I think I am? Or is there something going on the way I'm approaching time and managing my time that makes me feel busier than I really am? Great question. And this actually goes back to something I really emphasize in my first book, um, which is The Three Secrets to Effective Time Investment. And the second secret is it's all about having realistic expectations and how you feel about your time and about how busy you are and whether you're a success or failure is based on your expectations of what you thought would or wouldn't happen. So like you said, in the past, there's business deals where you would just not expect to hear back from someone for a day or a couple of days because something needed to go in postal mail and they had to wait for that to happen and there wasn't even FedEx overnight. And so your expectation of how much you would get done or accomplished in a day or a week was much lower than it is now. And so you're going to feel 
feel time poor if your internal and external expectations of what you're going to get done within a certain amount of time exceed that 24 hours in a day minus self-care. So the, the real key to how you're going to feel about things is what are your expectations. And if you're feeling time poor, it's because you've overcommitted and it's time to start making some choices about what you're going to expect of yourself personally, professionally, all different sorts of ways so you can get things into balance and actually enjoy the fact that, like you said, we've got all these amazing modern conveniences that we didn't have before that save us time. Um, but we often just stuff it with more stuff and more expectations instead of actually savoring that. So yeah, we'll get back to overcommitment and how we can manage that. Um, but I'm curious, are there types of time management approaches that encourage that sort of overcommitment and that actually lead to us being frustrated and, and, and failing? Um, is there a certain way that we, most people manage their time that results in that? Absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the reasons I really talk about time investment versus time management is I think most time management systems only focus on efficiency instead of effectiveness. And so what they um, really encourage you to do is they're like, well, Brett, if you're feeling overcommitted at work, that just means that you need to get, you know, two seconds more efficient at every single email that you're you're emailing, or you need to manage Outlook better, or um, you need to do this or you need to do that, instead of stepping back and saying, wait a second, maybe there's whole parts of what you're doing at work that aren't as significant, and you need to just stop doing them, put them aside and allow yourself to have permission to focus on what really matters and to do it in a way that you have breathing room so that you're not worried about like every second being absolutely optimized. So we usually, the, the typical response is like Taylorism, right? Like mm -hmm. be more efficient. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. It's be more efficient. And it's also forgetting the fact that you're human. You're not a machine. <laughs> and if you want to enjoy life, you need to have some flex and some flow. And time management systems that fail to account for that really leave you feeling rather hollow, even if you're quite efficient in what you do. So uh, let's talk, I love this idea of not you're not managing your time, you're investing your time. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have a, a formula. Uh, so mm -hmm. what is the time management formula? Absolutely. So the formula is um, similar to what I was talking about before, and that is when you're seeing, okay, am I over and committed? Am I in time debt? You look at your external expectations. So that would be things that you've told other people you would do. And then you add to that your internal expectations. So that's commitments you've made to yourself. And that's one side of this time investment formula. On the other side, you've got the 24 hours in a day, which is obviously a fixed variable. And then you have, you subtract the amount you need for self-care, which depends on the person, how much sleep, exercise, eating they need. And what happens is that you then have these numbers on either side of the equation. And if the amount of expectations you have exceeds 24 hours minus self-care, that's when you start getting stressed out because you're either failing to make commitments or you are contracting self-care to make everything fit. However, if your internal and ex 
external expectations are either equal to or less than 24 hours minus self-care, that's when you're feeling really awesome about what you're doing and you are able to keep your commitments and not compromise what you're doing in terms of your self-care. Gotcha. So I, I love the analogy of, you know, thinking time is money. In a lot of ways, literally time is money. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that helps me manage my time is like, wow, uh, if I could be earning X amount of dollars or like this is costing me X amount of dollars mm-hmm. uh, because I'm doing this instead of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, in personal finance books, oftentimes one of the first tips that they give to get a handle on your personal finances is tracking how much you spend. Mm-hmm. Is that something we should do with our time to like tr- actually track how we use our time? Does that make us more aware and mindful of the time we have or how we're spending it? So absolutely. Tracking your time can be extremely valuable in terms of how detailed you want to get with that. It really depends on your pers- personality type. So there are certain people that I work with who absolutely love to track their time and it's essential. So they'll do things like maybe wear a Fitbit and that will let them know how much they're sleeping each night. Um, or they'll use a tool like Toggle or Time Doctor and get these cool reports about how much time they spent in different categories. There's other people where that can get a little bit overwhelming to them. So they're better with a few broader categories. So for example, maybe tracking how much time they're spending on productive work in general, and then their investment in a few key categories. So maybe for them, doing project work or making sales call is a key indicator of success. So they want to make sure to track that. But if they tracked every little thing, they start to get really overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, yeah. I've noticed that whenever I track my time, uh, just by tracking my time, I use my time more effectively. Mm -hmm. Because you're suddenly aware, wow, I spent you know, an hour surfing the web mindlessly, I shouldn't do that. And then mm-hmm. you try to do better the next time. Sort of a feedback, yep. feedback Absolutely. system. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you track your, your time expenses mm-hmm. or how you're spending that. And then usually in the personal finance world, the next thing is like, you got to create a budget. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a similar time budget that we can create? Absolutely. And that goes back to our external and internal expectations. So what you can do is list out what those different things are. Um, And in my book, I have a lot of different bullet points that can help jog your memory about what might be going on. Um, But for many people, it will include things like work, commute, um, time with family, volunteer activities, any classes you're taking, all of that. And then you can connect those to the related time cost. And one of the things that people often neglect to consider are some of the softer parts of that. So let's say you decided, I really want to take a class to improve my skills in some area. So you think about the class time, but you don't think about the fact, oh, I'm going to have a commute on either end, or I'm going to have this homework that I need to do. And so you want to really, in your time budget, try to include all of those those time costs. And after you've done that, then add up the numbers to see where you're at. And you can do this for your whole overall life, or you can even do this for part of your life. So if you're feeling really overwhelmed at work, you could list out what are the projects I'm working on? What are the recurring events I just kind of have to do for maintenance activities in terms of meetings or answering emails? And that will give you a sense of whether the time cost of all you're expecting of yourself 
is aligned with the number of hours you want to spend or if it's out of alignment. And once you have those numbers, you can start to make cuts. And this is what really frees you to feel like a success because you're not constantly running at a deficit and feeling like a failure and really setting yourself up where the amount of time that each item you want to do costs ends up being the amount of time you actually have to get things done. Okay, I want to come back to this, how we can cut things. But here's a question I have. So one thing that I have trouble with is planning for the future, managing expectations for the future. Okay. So for example, I'll commit to something, you know, three months, right? Yep. The event's not three, isn't three months out. And when you plan, when you schedule like, oh yeah, not a problem. That'd be great. But then I, the, the thing finally comes up and it's like, man, I don't have time for this. I've got mm-hmm. other stuff that came up that has taken a priority. How do you get over it? Because like, I guess human beings, like, we're really bad about, we're not very good at thinking about the future because it's so abstract, so fuzzy, mm-hmm. and you don't think about these contingencies that are going to come up. How do you manage time expectations with this sort of uh, psychological handicap that we have where we don't, we don't think about mm-hmm. all the other commitments that are going to come up after we right. commit to something? Right. Absolutely. So again, this comes back to kind of the finance point of view. So let's say a similar situation, but we were looking at finances. You said, okay, a year from now, I want to buy a house or I want to buy a car. Well, that'd be great for you to say, I want to buy a house or buy a car. But if you don't then set aside money each month to have that down payment or, you know, to put down money for your car, you're not going to have it when the time comes. So the same thing is true. When something comes across your path and someone asks you for something, let's say it's three months out, what I do is I pull up my calendar, my Google calendar, and I try to make a rough estimate of how long I think something will take. So let's say it's a presentation and I need to work on the PowerPoint, uh, you know, shoot it through some revisions with some other people and have time to practice. So then I'll look on my calendar and see if the time is actually available for that. And if I can't find the time on my calendar, then that's the number one trigger for me to say, okay, wait a second. Either I can't do this or I need to get something off of my calendar that um, I currently have on that's a lower priority. So that's one way to do it. However, for some of these things in terms of overall relative priority. So maybe your calendar is open for the next, you have time in the next three months, but this may not end up being the top priority. You want to be looking at a bigger life picture in terms of priorities-based decision-making. So even for you and your work, what do I consider to be the high value investment activities that really move the business forward? And then what are some of the activities that may become lower on the stream of priorities. And if this thing that I'm getting asked to commit to three months out is one of the lower level priorities, I might just decide carte blanche to either not accept it or only accept it a certain number of times per year. Like maybe you do free speaking engagements three times a year and that's all. Once you've got that, you stop because you recognize that there are going to be higher level priorities that you will want to take precedence in terms of your overall time investment for your work calendar. Okay. Um, I love that. That was useful uh, yeah. for me personally. Uh, but then you said something that also I'm curious about is estimating or figuring out 
how long a project is going to take because that mm-hmm. I think causes probably causes a lot of uh, time investment frustrations is that you think something's not going to take that long, right? Mm-hmm. And then you plan for it, but then it ends up taking even longer. So my question is, how do you acquire the skill of estimating as close as possible how long a project will actually take? Great question. So a few things. One is past the past results you've had is a good indicator of future results. So if you have similar sorts of things you do, whether it's writing an article, doing certain presentations, um, certain sorts of projects, if you're doing your time tracking, you have data to show you what things look like. And if the last three times you wrote this sort of article, it took 10 hours, it's a good chance that the next time you do it, it's going to take 10 and not five. So that's one of your best indicators of how long something will take. If you're, you either don't have data on how long projects have taken you, or you're in a situation where you um, have a new project that you haven't done before, the best thing to do is to break it down to the smallest parts possible. Not only will that help you with your estimates, but also will help you with actually getting the project done. So it's helpful to get really granular. So like I was talking about with the presentation, you might say, ah, step one will be looking for past presentations, past similar presentations. Step two, uh, compiling the PowerPoint. Step three, uh, you know, sending to graphic designer to redesign, step four, coming up with a script, step five, practicing, step six, blah, blah. And so you do each one of those. And then our minds are actually pretty good at estimating once you get down to those smaller parts. And so that can be something that can help you with being more accurate. And then finally, if you're looking at a huge, massive project, like a website redesign or something like that, I would say just expect everything's going to take a really long time, (laughs) put in tons of buffer, and you might not want to set a really specific deadline until you get quite close to the end because there's certain things that no matter how much you try to estimate out, probably aren't going to go as expected. And putting too much constraints on yourself can be really frustrating for you and your team. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents, 
to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, so one of the first things I did, I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Awesome. Um, so related to expectations, uh, you write about in your book this idea of maximizing and satisfying how does maximizing, or can you first can you explain what the concepts are, and then how do they help or hinder time investment? Great question. So first of all, maximizing or maximizers are people who try to really do everything in the best way possible. So they don't just buy a toothbrush; they buy the best toothbrush that they have researched and has the highest Amazon reviews, you know, whereas satisficers say, okay, I need a toothbrush. What's the first one that pops up or what's the one I see at the store that works. And satisficers just aren't trying to maximize every single task they're doing or the ROI. And why this is significant is that, um, there's a saying that some people say is how you do anything is how you do everything. 
And what this can create is a lot of perfectionism when it really doesn't count. So that could be sending perfect emails, that could be doing every project to the absolute max, even when it doesn't really matter. Whereas satisficers are saying, okay, when I'm looking, let's say at my day, where can I provide the most impact? Where does it really matter for me to do something awesome and I'll have a big ROI? And where is just getting it done all that matters? So some things where you might be able to cut time would be answering emails more quickly. Um, maybe some basic paperwork that just kind of needs to get done and out, doesn't need to be perfect. Some places where you might want to spend more time and it actually really is worth it to maximize the ROI might be a project that you're doing for a new client where doing a really wonderful job on it is going to cause them to get you more work. Or if you're working within a corporation, might lead to a promotion. And why this is important is that if you try to do everything perfectly, you're either not going to get everything done or you're going to miss deadlines. Whereas if you're willing to satisfice in the areas where it doesn't really count as much, then you're going to be able to really push more time into the things where you're going to get a big payoff and you're going to be able to make your deadlines. Okay. Now I'm probably opening up a can of worms here, but I'm curious. Um, mm -hmm. And the people, you've worked with lots of people uh, yes. managing their time and coaching them and investing their time. Yep. Uh, are there differences in the way men and women approach time management? That you've noticed, just like very general, right, right. I know it's broad strokes. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, great question. Um, I would say that they're, obviously each person is unique, so I'll preface it that way. Of course. But in general, I find that um, women tend to be more, I think more women are planners naturally than men. Um, whereas men, I think, can tend to be more towards the spontaneous side, although there are definitely men who are planners, so I'm not not precluding mm -hmm. that. Um, and then in terms of, I think, some of the psychology, again, this is changing, but men, and I think this is a wonderful thing, good thing, and I don't think it should change, but I think men naturally tend to really feel how they prove their worth and particularly how they, you know, love their families is through their work. And so sometimes in an attempt to really show their love for their families, their, you know, wives, their children, they can spend a lot more time at work because they're afraid that if they don't, they can't provide for their family in the way that they want to. Um, whereas I think women don't tend to feel that pressure as much. And I don't, not that no women do, but it's, it's different. And I think it's good and it's natural. And so I guess one thing I would just say in that is sometimes, um, in terms of just being aware of time investment, if men can be aware of one of the big ways they can love their family is just being present for, you know, even if you have to work at night, being present for dinner or being present for certain kids' activities that can make a huge difference in how loved and appreciated your family feels. Um, and it can particularly help, you know, your wife or your children to really feel like you're there. And I think that's one just kind of significant difference I see. Most women, um, I think we're naturally recognized that the time they spend with their family is um, really valuable. And it's not just by work that they show their love. But I think men just tend to fall more into that category. 
is it wrong or bad they feel compelled to be providers? No, I think it's awesome and that it's a wonderful quality, but it's just something to consider that you might unintentionally undermine your relationships in an attempt to provide financially, but maybe not be present like emotionally or physically. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting too, uh, how cultural norms can change and can change our expectations. So I was reading uh, a book about sort of like, time, like a sociologist wrote a book, why we feel so pressed for time. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting that our, our uh, rising levels of, of, of what we expect, what we think clean is, mm-hmm. has caused us to spend more time cleaning than like mm-hmm. our grandmas did. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. And so like, yeah, women, you know, they're, they're, they're getting into the workforce, but they still feel like they have to keep their house immaculate and spotless. But like mm-hmm. their grandmas, even though they worked, for, they, even though they were homemakers, like they just didn't, they were satisficers oftentimes right, when it came to a clean right. house. Like, okay, yeah, there's mud prints on the kitchen floor and there's clutter. Big deal. I got to go make dinner. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, there's a lot of pressure with uh, women and men uh, mm-hmm. to be like, well, no, I got to keep the yard awesome and mm-hmm. the house has got to be spotless. And so I feel like yep. these expectations from exactly. the wider culture uh, exactly. can make us miserable. Oh, yeah. And homes are way bigger than they used to be. I mean, it used to be natural to have like a, you know, maybe two, three bedroom home for a family of four. You know, yeah. like that was just normal. Well, now it's like everyone has to have their own bedroom and we've got a family room and a living room and a this and a that and a yard that's huge. And you're right. I think there's a lot of a lot of differences in terms of cultural norms. And to their credit, I really see like in my coaching clients and then just some men in general, an enormous care and desire to be present and to be involved and to help with things around the house and help with children and be active and participate. And so I actually think that, I think that's a good thing and it's a healthy thing, but I also know that creates a lot more pressure on men than before because when it just in our culture and society, you know, when most women were at home and it was just expected that they do the cleaning, the shopping, uh, you know, the cooking, whatever, uh, many men, not all men, but many, you know, it was just work and come home and that was what you had to do. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe you throw on to baseball. Um, what, whereas now I think men have a lot more expectations on themselves in terms of how active and participating they're in the home. And it isn't, I don't think it's necessarily a problem, but it is something to realize be easy on yourself. Like you're, you're doing a lot and, um, you have to still keep things in balance about what is actually realistic or not realistic and make sure that you don't lose sight of self-care because I see with both men and women, particularly when they have children, there can be a lot of guilt around doing anything that you just enjoy and just for pleasure, whether it's watching sports or playing sports or, um, reading or playing an instrument or whatever it is. And those are actually things that are really important for you to be happy and healthy and shouldn't be a cause of guilt that you're investing time in them. And I actually see those as great investments in terms of quality of life, you maintaining your sanity and uh, being the best person that you can be. Yeah. And it'll make you more productive at work in the long run. Absolutely. And and just a happier, healthier person, particularly if you're an introvert, um, you need that time alone to recharge and you can't necessarily go straight from like work to family or work to friends or whatever and, and really be in a good place. So we're big advocates of planning, Mm -hmm. time planning on the site. I'm curious, uh, what, 
you talk about in your book, but what's, what's something when someone's sitting down to plan their week out, what should that planning session look like? Definitely. So the weekly planning session at its most basic level is where we're trying So the end goal. What are we trying to achieve is number one, you want to have a sense of the hard landscape of the week. So what does this look like? And number two, you want clarity on what your big goals are. So in a practical point of view, why do those two things matter? Having a sense of the landscape helps you with not missing things and not being blindsided by things you weren't expecting. And having clarity on your goals helps to make sure that you're investing in those high importance um, investment activities. When you sit down to do this, you need to have in front of you your data set. So for most people, that will look like having their calendar and then wherever you capture to-do items or goals or things you're working on. And then I recommend looking back over the past week. For myself, when I do this, I have my Google Calendar and Week View. Um, But you want to look back over the past week to make sure you have a complete capture. So did you do those meeting follow-ups? Is there something that needs to be rescheduled? Did you promise someone something after a meeting that you need to do? Um, Then you want to look ahead over the coming week. And this is a chance to really scrub your calendar. And since I'm an advocate of time investment, especially for my clients that are managers, I recommend they. this is a time for them to decline or reschedule meetings if necessary. So often people are in far more meetings than they need to be. And it's also a time for you to clarify and put in any prep work. So let's say you have a meeting on Friday that you're going to need to get a report ready for. You should be putting in some time earlier in the week to get that done so you're not surprised or crunched by that at the last minute. And then finally, you're going to look at your task or to-do list or projects. People have them categorized in different ways and decide what are the big items for the week. Typically, for most people, given what's going on, there's about two or three projects that they can move forward in a substantial way. Um, Sometimes there's more if they're smaller, um, but for most people, it's two or three. You want to clearly define those, write those at the top of your to-do list or put them at the top of your calendar. And then for a lot of people, it can help to also block in time on their schedule. So maybe it's Tuesday afternoon, I'm going to work on writing this report, or Wednesday morning, I'm going to call prospective clients, whatever it is, so that you've already established from the get-go, this is what you're wanting to achieve. And with this weekly plan, when you're done, you should have a roadmap of what your firm commitments are, what are the big goals you're trying to achieve, and how everything fits together. If you already notice then, it doesn't all fit, it's time to make cuts. Um, And then if you, it does fit, but you're really squeezing everything in and you don't have any flex time, I also recommend taking a little out of your schedule. Ideally, we wanna try to have Fridays pretty flexible so that when life happens and things take longer than expected and kind of flow throughout the week, uh, you can catch that spillover on Friday and still get things done instead of having to work over the weekend or not really feeling like you accomplished your goals. And how do you cut? Uh, sometimes you, know, you can cut something, but it still has to be done. Um, so are there methods of eliminating things from your calendar, but still find ways to get them done? Um, so, I mean, obviously it depends on the situation, but 
uh, I mean, sometimes it's just delaying it to a different week. Um, other times it's delegating it to someone else, which is often a, a great point. Or the other way to do it, which works often, is just satisficing. So you would be amazed. People that are good at satisficing, wow, they can get done in probably five minutes what might take maximizers an hour because let's say they get a form they need to fill out. They fill out like the minimum amount they can fill out, may not even use complete sentences, shoot it back and figure, ah, if something's wrong, they'll they'll get back to me and tell me versus maximizers will write these like three or four paragraph answers to every single question with perfect punctuation. And so sometimes if you just need to get something done, giving yourself 15 minutes and saying the best I can do in this amount of time is what's going to happen can help you with that. And then how does uh, daily planning uh, build off of your weekly plan? Perfect. So weekly plan is the overall roadmap to give you a strategy. Daily planning is your tactical um, decisions on your operating system for the day. So with daily planning, if you've done your weekly planning, it should be super quick, like five, 10 minutes. What you're doing is take a quick glance over the day before. You don't have to do a complete capture and move everything, but just a real quick, okay, anything that didn't happen that I've got to follow up on now. I can't wait until weekly planning. Then you want to look over the over the coming day. So this is a chance to take note of any meetings you have. Make sure there's a reminder pop-ups on your calendar. If you want, put alarms on your phone as a, a double reminder for you. And clarify whether what you intended to do is still the top priority. So let's say initially on Tuesday afternoon, you had planned on working on a report, but your time got switched around so you only had an hour to work on the report instead of three. When you're looking at your daily plan for Wednesday, you might have thought you were going to start the day by reaching out to prospective clients, but the report really needs to get done. So in your daily plan is where you make that choice and you say, you know what? Nope, I'm going to start by finishing the report, squeeze down the time a little bit. I'm spending calling prospective clients and, um, you know, that's okay. That's how it's going to be. So it's basically your recalibration so that you're staying in alignment with what's most important instead of just assuming that your weekly plan will go as exactly as planned, which isn't realistic. So you talk about how we, we kind of been dogging on maximizing uh, lately, mm-hmm. but you talk about the INO technique for mm-hmm. maximizing your time investment. Can you explain yep. what that is? Absolutely. So INO is for investment neutral, and optimized. And this can be something when you're doing your daily planning that can help you really clearly recognize where to focus. So investment activities are like we were talking about before. This is where they're they're high impact. It could be a project you're working on that could transform your business. It could be maybe meeting with prospective clients or you know meeting with colleagues to build momentum for a project. You spending more time here is a good idea. And these are activities you may spend hours and hours on. Neutral activities are things that are more or less a one-to-one ratio. So let's say you have a staff meeting. It needs to get done. You don't necessarily want to do it as quickly as possible and like totally cut any fat in the meeting. Um, but spending a lot more time on it isn't a high priority. So with these activities, you want to get them done, get them done well, but you don't necessarily want to turn a one-hour staff meeting, two-hour staff meeting. There's no 
real huge return on investment for that. And then finally, the O stands for optimize. And these are activities where it costs you when they take more time. So filling out response reports, answering non-critical like, emails, um, anything where any more time you spend on it is just keeping you from spending time on your neutral or investment activities is something where you want to automate, delegate, um, delay, or do as quickly as possible so you don't get consumed in them. And by simply making a note on your daily plan, like what's the investment activity, like put an eye by it, or what's neutral or what's optimized, you can start to train your brain differently in terms of how you approach them with the hope that the optimized ones you can get through as quickly as possible and the investment ones really give yourself permission to, to spend that extra time to get things done well. This is awesome. Well, Elizabeth, this has been a jam-packed uh, podcast, but where can people learn more about uh, your work and your book? Absolutely. So my website, I'll say it and then I'll spell it because I know it can be a little confusing, um, is reallifee.com. So that is R-E-A-L-L-I-F-E and then another E.com. And that's the name of my business. And there you can find out more about the coaching I offer, uh, training, and then also about my books. And I've got a whole ton of resources on effective time investment and how to really feel more accomplished and more peaceful and confident at the same time. Awesome. Well, Elizabeth Gray Saunders, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. My pleasure also. My guest today was Elizabeth Grace Saunders. She's the author of the book, How to Invest Your Time Like Money. It's available on Amazon Kindle, just $5.38. Really great deal, full of practical information. And you can find out more information about Elizabeth's work at her website, reallifee.com. That's R-E-A-L-L-I-F-E-E.com. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever it is you use to listen to the podcast. Uh, that'll help get the word out about the podcast as well as give us feedback that'll help us improve the show. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.